Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. A, a podcast in the making, TPC 144, July 23rd, 2020, 12.08 p.m. Eastern Time. Available on YouTube, BitChute, DTube, Spotify, Vio, Vimeo, and anywhere else you can find it, it's probably there. And if it's not, comment and I'll, I'll get it there. Today's guest, Mr. Dwayne Hughes from Sandia National, or worked at Sandia National. Introduce yourself. Don't let me butcher this. Okay, I'll try to do that. You can tell by my uh, costume that I'm representing the National Museum of Nuclear Science and History. Uh, that's a mouthful. We're a national museum. Uh, there are only 38 in the country, and 30 of them are in Washington, D.C. So there's only about eight of us scattered around the rest of the country. Museum's 51 years old. We've been in three different sites, and we're currently in our latest site, which is 11 years. Uh, I uh, received uh, through the museum, uh, list of 50 questions that you had your viewers uh, write into you. I've reviewed those questions and uh, one of them came to mind and that is, what made you get into this specific field? And so let me tell you a little bit about myself sure. and uh, what my qualifications or unqualifications might be. I uh, grew up in a little town uh, near Dayton, Ohio town named Miamisburg, about 5,500 people. And in the late 40s, about 1947, the AEC began to build mound laboratories. It was on a hill right above the town there in Limestone Hill, and they mined it out. I mentioned that the town is 5,500 people. There were 5,500 construction workers came in, started tunneling out that hill. Well, that got me interested in AEC way back when I was still in mid-school. After I finished my education in physics, I applied and had literature from Sandia Laboratories in Albuquerque. I applied there and uh, got a job uh, in 1956. Worked there 38 years in both uh, the weapons work and in uh, and then nuclear uh, power. I really had seven different careers in different organizations during that time. I retired uh, at the end of the Cold War in 1994 and I went to volunteering at the museum 21 years ago. The museum now is seeing about 57,000 people a year. I'm there two days a week, so seen an awful lot of people come to the yeah. museum at the time. Got a lot of attitudes uh, expressed to me about the nature of nuclear power. <laughs> the uh, museum is in three areas. Our charter calls 
for us to address the whole breadth of nuclear science. Three basic areas. One is weapons or the history of the atom bomb. Most people come there to see that. It starts with the splitting of uranium nucleus, goes through the Manhattan Project, Cold War, and our current weapons, the, the two bombs, B-1 and B-83 bombs. Another section is on nuclear medicine and the third section on nuclear power. And that's what I want to concentrate on in this podcast is because there were five questions of the 50 that started a theme, actually uh, three different uh, themes. One is uh, transition out of nuclear fuels and where are we headed Uh, another one is on safety of reactors and the third is on reactor reactor uh, waste so i'm going to address all three of those our museum policy is that we try to stay neutral in these things and that's difficult to do when you got strong opinions like myself on one way or the other we try to stay factual in facts that we believe to be true Uh, we don't speculate and we don't get into political sensitive areas we try to stay away from those we don't get into arguments with people on who did this or who didn't do that Uh, I'll start I think by taking a tour of the museum as I mentioned there were three parts and I'm concentrating on nuclear power area And we'll begin where we begin in the museum, and that is discussing the various sources of electricity. And um, we have five panels that talk about the different sources. Uh, And each of these panels have listed on them the pros and cons of each electric source. Rarely will you see in the media or anywhere both sides uh, delivered. Mm-hmm. You either hear a rant one way pro or the other way con. Yeah. So very soon do you see both of them in conjunction. I'll start with fossil fuels. The numbers that I'll be giving you are out of the Energy Information Agency, EIA, updated uh, March 20th. Uh, the fossil fuel panel uh, is 61% of our electrical power right now is being generated by fossil fuels. Uh, but within that, the mix has changed. Coal is going down and natural gas usage is going up. Right now, uh, uh, 38% of the energy is being uh, delivered by natural gas, Uh, 23% now is coal. Mm -hmm. At one time it was reversed, Uh, but uh, natural gas is taking over. Uh, It's become more available, Uh, it's cheaper, and now is uh, economically uh, ahead of coal. And primarily due due to uh, uh, fracturing uh, which is a controversial topic in itself, but it has really, really released a lot more gas. The um, the next panel in is nuclear. 
Uh, I won't say much about it right now because most of my talk is going to be about nuclear, but it's providing 20% of our electrical power. So between the two, we're up to around 81%. The next panel is wind. And uh, wind is contributing right now about 7% of our electrical power and is rising faster than the next panel, solar. Uh, solar is uh, just a little less than 2%. Total of the two are about 9%. The fifth panel then is, uh, has to do with uh, hydroelectric. Uh, that's the power from the big dams. Mm-hmm. That's about 7% of our total uh, generating power. But that is capped. I doubt if we'll ever build another large generating dam as those in the uh, TVA projects or Hoover Dam or Grand Coulee. Mm -hmm. Those are probably history as far as the future. But they'll be there for on beyond our lives, but not probably more than 7%. The, uh, when we look at those, the really the hype that you see is for renewable. Uh, renewable is three, it's the wind, solar, and uh, it's not mentioned, uh, hydroelectric is renewable, 7%. Uh, when I have classes of kids coming through, I always mention to them that, well, with wind and solar, you got to remember the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. Yeah. So what do you do to control base, what's called base power? Base power is what's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it needs to be reliable. Uh, right now, there are three sources of the five. Uh, that's uh, fossil fuels, nuclear, or hydroelectric. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it looks like fossils uh, are going to be going away. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But remember, base power. Now, in the renewables area, there's discussions this week and they get into the politics of it, that well, renewable and solar will become 24 hour sources mm-hmm. because of battery technology. And uh, I have my concerns about that, but let's go on. <laughs> I'll give you my personal opinion. I, I've got to mention this So, Can you imagine New York City, the size of the, of the battery building that would take enough electrical power to power New York City for maybe a two or three day storm that comes through where the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine that, that may be a real problem yeah well, I, I, I got I trying to digress there which I shouldn't <laughs> anyway uh, fossil fuels really though is are limited in the future either by the, because of the environmental uh, impacts, uh, the emissions, uh, the, uh, the people that uh, want to see all that go away. But 
fossil fuels are really limited. Someday we're going to dig up all the coal, we're going to use all the gas, and then what's left? Mm. It's either wind, solar, combined with batteries, hydro, or nuclear. So right now, looking forward, I put my money on nuclear. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is the only uh, 24-hour, seven-day week reliable. Our reactors today now operate 93% of the time. They're very reliable. And I'm going to be talking quite a bit about those. At the museum, though, I'm really saddened by the people that come in and their ignorance of, on nuclear science. Mm-hmm. We don't teach it, and uh, and you don't really get a fair look at it in, by reading the newspapers or anything. I had a little old lady uh, the other day that came in, and uh, she asked me, are reactors safe? And, and that really saddens me because I said, well, you think they're unsafe? Yeah, they're unsafe. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, Chernobyl. Yeah. I'm going to be addressing that a lot because that is really, Chernobyl is really misleading. Yeah. And is an accident that should never be considered in looking at nuclear power. I'm going to address that more. The other thing is one of the uh, uh, questions that's on your listing there. It's, uh, oh, let's see, I gotta go back. Oh, it's uh, 16A. Okay, 16A, you gotta look it up there, uh, Tom? Yeah, I'm gonna pull it up on my phone. 16A. I'm curious about nuclear power and if if he has any insight on how to make nuclear a safer and more integral part of our power grid. Now, when I read that, mm-hmm. I assume that writer thinks that the current uh, uh, reactors are not safe uh-huh. and must save. These are all old reactors. We already have new designs which are much safer. Uh-huh. But now, when I say that, you will come out thinking, well, if they're safer, then that. Our current ones aren't safe. Yeah, yeah. I think the current ones extremely safe. Safe. Yeah. See how that can be taken out of context. Yeah. So anyway, I want to address the uh, the area of, of safety, and uh, you know when the public looks at uh, reactors, they think really of three accidents: uh, that Chernobyl, Fukushima, and uh, Three Mile Island. Mm-hmm. And very unfortunately, just when the whole development of uh, nuclear power was about to take off, we had Three Mile Island. Mm-hmm. We also had the movie China Syndrome, mm-hmm. which did an awful, uh, unfair, sick, fictional account of nuclear of nuclear power. But it really swayed public opinion. Uh, all our reactors today are light water reactors, moderated light water reactors. Water is used for both cooling and and for what is moderation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, and uh, what Chernobyl is, and what our 
other reactors that we use to make plutonium. So uh, let me uh, talk a little bit about uh, nuclear science. And this mm -hmm. is as much as I'm going to lay on you because uh, you can easily get into things that make your eyes glaze over. Yeah. I'm going to try to keep it to a, to a lay audience. Okay. One concept uh, that is necessary in a reactor is to moderate neutrons. And what we mean by that is that when a nucleus of uh, uranium splits, the neutrons coming out are very hot. They're very energetic. They're traveling about 2 million electron volts. They're going at about 11% of the speed of light. So they're zipping out and they go flying right by another nucleus and they don't interact. Somehow you gotta slow those critters down. Uh -huh. And you do it by like a pool table. You, you send them out and they bump into other nuclei. Mm -hmm. And each time they bump into it, they lose kinetic energy and slow up. So after they bumped into other nuclei about 60 times, they're now down to a low enough velocity that they can interact with other nuclei. And uh, the problem with that, though, is that these ones they bump into can't absorb it. Mm -hmm. They've got to bounce in and bounce off. And there are two materials that work best on that. One is graphite and the other is heavy water or deuterium, mm -hmm. those two products. Now, in before the, right before World War II there, the Germans had deuterium, and they were trying to slow these down using deuterium. We had no deuterium in this country, but we had lots of graphite. Mm -hmm. So uh, we used graphite. Fortunately, though, we also had an immigrant, uh, Enrico Fermi, mm -hmm. and he had discovered uh, that uh, process of moderation and how you had to slow it down. Actually got the Nobel Prize for it. He came to the United States and he and Leo Zillard developed Chicago Pile One, yep. the first nuclear reactor. And in December 2nd, 1942, they got a sustained controlled chain reaction. Once that happened, we knew we could build a bomb. Mm -hmm. We had enough uh, uh, information to, to actually build an explosive with it. Uh, the, uh, and so that really gave emphasis into the Manhattan Project. That uh, CP1 reactor then was, was scaled up to a prototype in Oak Ridge called X10 reactor. And uh, that produced the first parts pieces of plutonium to split out the feasible part of uranium is extremely difficult mm -hmm. uh, the, and they're called isotopes they're the same uh, no, uh, well they're the same atomic number but different atomic weight mm -hmm. Uh, the uh, fissionable part of uranium is only seven-tenths of one percent. Uh, Ninety-nine percent is non-fissionable. One is 235 and 238, mm -hmm. difference in weights. 
that's only one percent difference. So you got to figure out a way of separating those. Okay. Uh, we tried centrifuges, which is what we use today. Westinghouse tried to build one. We didn't have the materials, though. We didn't have the machining capability to build these modern uh, centrifuges. So they set that aside, and they went with two other concepts. One was electromagnetic separation, the other gaseous diffusion. I won't go into those. That, that'll glaze your eyes over. <laughs> but there were two facilities built at Oak Ridge, one called Y12, the other K25, mm-hmm. and one of the large. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Just construction projects ever, ever, ever encountered. But they cranked away on uranium for six months and only had about enough uranium for uh, fissionable uranium for one bomb. Mm-hmm. They knew that wouldn't work because the Japanese wouldn't give up on one bombing. Mm-hmm. But in the reactor, one of the, if you expose the uranium in a reactor, one of the daughter products is plutonium. Mm-hmm. You can take the plutonium out, you expose the rod, take the rod to a chemical laboratory, cut it up and extract the plutonium out now chemically because it's a different uh, element. It's uh, instead of uranium at 92, it's now element 94. Uh So you can do that. So we scaled up X10 at the bridge, but then we had to get production uh, uh, level uh, reactors and those were done in Hanford uh, out in the east of uh, Seattle, uh, built the big reactors out there, B reactor being the first, mm-hmm. and that produced then uh, enough plutonium for additional weapons. So, anyway, those were graphite moderated reactors, all three of them. At this, about that same time, or a little later, uh, well, it would be after it's about uh, after World War II ended. The Soviets also were using graphite reactors to make plutonium, uh-huh. and so they 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 built one in uh, more than one, I'm sure, in Ukraine, and they named it Chernobyl. Chernobyl was a graphite uh, reactor and was being used both to produce plutonium for weapons and for producing electrical power. They used the excess power, put it on the grid, being used for two things. That was graphite. They had a, an experiment that they were conducting where they intentionally took the cooling water out to see what would happen. It got away from them and melted down. And that's the famous Chernobyl yep. Uh, yep. accident, yep. which haunts us to today. The uh, our our uh, reactors, and I'll talk a little bit later, have containment containment structures. 
I'll talk about that. I'll just set that up because they're very important in our current uh, safety of our reactors. So right now, ours are light water, like I say, either in designs that are pressure uh, pressure vessels or boiling water vessels, or their deuterium. Uh, the only deuterium ones that are being built are in Canada, and they're called the Candu series of reactors. Uh, we use water because it's much cheaper than deuterium. Deuterium is a very expensive uh, material. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Let me turn the page. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned uh, Chernobyl had no containment structure. Now, if you come to the museum, we have a cross-section of our containment structures. It's four feet thick reinforced concrete. And we have a section in the museum uh, that uh, shows shows how large this vessel is structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition, to that, there's several layers of steel too that uh, confine them. Uh, that did not happen at uh, Chernobyl. They uh, built their reactor in a building that was designed to keep the weather out rather than keep, keep the ra- keep radiation the, uh, any, any accident in. in. Uh, talk a little bit about our current reactors because they're probably greater prevalence than what most people think. Uh, as of now, we have 97 reactors operating in the, in the States. And I saw just yesterday in uh, There are 34 now that have been retired, put on permanent retirement. But the 97 now are at 57 different sites. Uh, the biggest one being down uh, west of uh, Phoenix, uh, the Palo Verde site, it has three reactors. Most of these reactors, though, were built in the late 60s, early 70s, before uh, we had a moratorium on building them. So they're getting old. They were originally designed for about a 40-year life. They're now being extended and band-aids put on them. Uh, most of them now are 60 years, but even at 60 years, by the year 2030, most of them will be being retired. And it's not because of the nuclear portion. It's because things just wear out. Mm-hmm. You got turbines, you got generators, you got plumbing, you got pumps. All these things eventually just wear out. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's no longer feasible to try to maintain them. The uh, the question then uh, is uh, we have you know well there are also 438 reactors worldwide most a lot of them uh, operating as long as ours 438 reactors worldwide 97 here and uh, they've been working all those years just think how many reactor years is involved there yeah and we've had those three accidents and one of them chernobyl shouldn't even be considered because there are no graphite reactors now yeah 
Uh, when I uh, managed uh, a group uh, vision at Sandia that reported to the vice president of, of the environment at Sandia. And he had an all hands meeting once and uh, gave us a very profound thing that, that I see almost daily. Yeah. He said, unfortunately, we will spend our careers and our children will, will spend their careers determining how safe is safe and how secure is secure. Yeah. And we see that almost on a daily basis now. Uh, my big concern is that uh, the society seems to be tending towards zero risk. Yeah, which isn't realistic. And it all depends on our tolerance for risk. Zero risk is impossible. Yeah. Everything is risk. Say, yeah. well, no, not if you don't get out of bed. Well, <laughs> that's risky behavior. Yeah. There's all kinds of things. It's bed sores and everything yeah. else. Yeah. So there is no, there is no, there there is no saying. But what are tolerance for risks? And and uh, in reactor now, right now your risk. If you live within one mile of a reactor, your risk of dying from an accident at that reactor is one in a million per year. So some people look at it and say, "Geez, only one million? I'm moving." Yeah. No, but yet they'll go get on an airplane. Yeah, uh, and they say, "Well, I uh, I got to fly because yeah. uh, you know I got to get there, but I'm scared of it." Yeah. Well, uh, and and we see this on the seven thirty seven Max. Yeah, the boat. Yeah, uh, are, are people going to fly it after it comes back? Yeah, are they going to be scared of it? Let's look at some of the numbers there. This is FAA, and you can go to FAA and get all kinds. They've got bushels of, yeah. of data, I think. But there are 44,600 flights per day domestically in the U.S. Uh, they're carrying 2.7 million passengers per day. When can you remember that our last accident that killed somebody in the air? Exactly. It's We're being, what? That's what I was going to say. That makes perfect sense because think of how frequent car accidents are. They don't make the news because they happen every day, everywhere. Planes happen so infrequently that it's news. Same thing with nuclear reactors. Yeah. Bad bad things are news. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And you led me to my best connect. Well, okay, I'm not going to fly. I'm going to drive. Yeah. So let's say I'm driving from Albuquerque to to Dallas and uh, not realizing, because I, I'm afraid to fly, my risk of dying in a car accident is 750 times greater than flying. And so when you see that number, you say, well, maybe I better fly. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it all depends on our tolerance for risk. Well, one of the uh, links that uh, one of your uh, viewers uh, was to, uh, well, let's see, where was he? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's 4C yep. on your listing. Okay. It's an article out of the bulletin, which I really found interesting. 
is public opinion on uh, nuclear energy what influences it and i was surprised in that i i think the authors of that uh, expected negative results it turns out that 60 it's around 60 70 percent of americans favor nuclear mm-hmm. nuclear power and that, that surprised me but anyway you can go to that link and uh, and and see the results of their uh, their polling so there is a positive attitude even with all the negative uh, publicity that uh, nuclear gets yeah all our current reactors are what called generation two generation one uh, reactors are are all gone they're museums they're they're or been torn down all ours are second generation the uh, fukushima was the second generation it was a boiling water ge design and we have cutaways of it at the museum uh the they're they're very safe uh they of course they didn't anticipate a tsunami there that went up 70 feet they were only designed for about 30 feet yeah well wipe things out yeah what surprises me though that the japanese are very disciplined in this sort of thing but they hadn't been keeping the reactors up to date fortunately in the united states we have the nuclear regulatory commission nrc that imposes if you have one problem at one reactor, all reactors have to be analyzed for that problem and corrected. Oh, wow, I don't know. And uh, that's what we did after Fukushima. All the plants that were on the seacoast were analyzed to see if they could withstand the worst uh, tsunamis. So we go through that. So we keep updating these reactors as, as we get more information about them. Uh, what now? is uh, being used and built in the country are what we call generation three plus okay and in the united states that is the westinghouse's ap1000 now these are safer now i'm in trouble <laughs> yeah safer. these are safer than the current ones and why it's a very simple thing why they didn't think of this initially instead of these pumps that rely on the electricity to pump the water into the reactor when you have a uh, an accident use a very simple thing you just put a three hundred thousand dollar a gallon swimming pool on the roof and if you have an accident it, the water starts so, raining down yeah just like a sprinkler system in your in your house yeah uh it doesn't require computers it doesn't require people it's automatic uh-huh. and so this this is the ap1000 and there, there are a number of different uh, companies around the world that are producing these uh the biggest market for the ap1000 is in china actually i didn't mention it but china is producing about half the wind uh, in the world they have a very big wind uh, uh-huh. uh, uh effort there Plus, they're building these reactors that, uh, plus they're building a, a 
coal-fired power week. Jeez. So, and and they use dirty coal, so it's, that's, yeah. that's a problem in itself. And they're they're building. So you yeah. don't you, you, We we call this tank on the roof. It's called passive cooling, so it doesn't uh, require people and computers to get confused like they did at uh, Three Mile Island. Mm-hmm. Three Mile Island probably is what killed our new developments, really. Uh, it killed no one. Uh, there was a release of some radioactive gas. The big problem with Three Mile Island, as I see it, is that they evacuated an area 10 miles around it. Mm-hmm. And the trauma of the evacuation, and also at Chernobyl and Fukushima, is they're experiencing greater uh, problems with the people that are evacuated than what the actual uh, accident caused. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's turn to waste. Talk a little bit about waste. All right. If I haven't convinced you the reactors are saved by now, yeah, uh, you're you're uh, don't bother me with some facts. I know. Uh, my mind's made <laughs> uh, on the waste. Then uh, the beauty of uh, nuclear power is the reactors have zero emissions. Uh, they're completely clean. But you all know that the big problem is what do we do with these spent fuel rods? They're very radioactive, and they have some naughty stuff in them, like <laughs> cesium-137 and strontium-90. Uh-huh. Also, plutonium, that are around for uh, 30 years or more. I mean, 30 thousands yeah, of 30, years. Yeah. So it's a big problem, and it's, they're so radioactive that very hard to do. Well, what we're currently doing is we take the spent fuel wads, and we put them in the uh, swimming pools. You don't want to go swimming in there, but put them in pools of water for about 10 years until the radioactivity drops down to some manageable level. A beauty of, of half-lives of the, of the radioactive elements is that they, the more radiation they give out uh, because they're faster decaying, it drops off very quickly. Mm-hmm. But you still have the long light ones that are still a a danger. You put it in water for about 10 years and it drops down. Then you take it out and you put it into what's called dry storage. These are dry casts that are stored above ground. And uh, that's what's happening now. These are being stored at each of the sites because we have no central place to store them. So you've got 59 sites that have these pools of water, plus you've got uh, in total uh, 76 storage sites. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I mean the total is 70, 76 minus 50, 59 is what? 
Anyway, the number of storage sites. 17. So they're being stored there. What's that? 17. 17? Yeah. 17 storage Yeah. Uh, so, so the stuff is stored out there. To me, it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to the environment. Uh, it's also vulnerable to possible terrorist activity. I can't imagine what a terrorist could do with one of these big tasks that if they broke two in a, into it, they would get zapped. Uh, you wouldn't want to be around them. Yeah. Uh, we've been building, and, and I was part of this, and Sandia is a big part of the design, and that's Yucca Mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yucca Mountain is unique in that uh, we've been working on it 30 years. We've spent $15 billion on it, and we can't use it. And to me, that breaks my heart because it is a beautiful facility. Why can't they use it? Beautiful from a technology point of view. Why can't they use it? Uh, and, and And the beauty of it is that it's not a burial facility. It's a storage facility. We can put those casts in, and if we want to in the future, extract them, mm-hmm. because someday we will be recycling these fuel rods. Ninety-six mm-hmm. percent of fuel rod can be recycled, and uh, that uh, is really a really that, of use. That's uh, the French, the French, uh, Russians, uh, British. Japan, they're all recycling theirs. Mm-hmm. We aren't. And the reason is back in the 70s, the Carter administration outlawed recycling because part of the 4% that's left is plutonium. Mm-hmm. Plutonium is used in weapons. So there was concern about proliferation, nuclear proliferation. So that executive order went into effect. The Reagan administration reversed that order, but yet now no one is willing to touch it. You got the not my backyard problem, yeah. which you got with Yucca Mountain, and uh, also the very high capital expense of, of building a, a recycling uh, place. As far as Yucca Mountain goes, then I just mentioned uh, that uh, that. In the Yucca Mountain, not in my backyard. Yeah, it really uh, took a hit with a very influential senator from out there, Reed. He's now retired. But the concern was that Yucca Mountain is eighty-five miles from Las Vegas, and the concern out there is that uh, that might negatively impact. The people that go to Yucca Mountain, if they knew they were within 85 miles yeah. Of, yeah. of a dump, yeah. uh, a waste dump, yeah. I doubt too many people that go to Las Vegas. I don't think they care. Campbell are too concerned <laughs> about that being in a mountain 85 miles away. But I think they're, I think they're uh, that, okay that, with that. They're okay that, with that, the risk. That okay's risk. Yeah. You'll see in the news in just the last few weeks where. Now I'm getting it. Was I going to use Trump's name? I'm getting into politics. <laughs> uh, they had started uh, to start back up Yucca, mm-hmm. and yeah, and uh, Trump has has canceled that. Why? And 
I don't want to go there. It's probably political okay. reasons. Okay. So anyway, uh, right now Yucca Mountain is on hold, and we got the not my backyard problem. So it's still a problem. Um, uh, they're hunting around in West Texas for a repository. Another one in southeastern New Mexico, but that uh, is going to be a, a, a problem of the future. Have you ever read the the book Raven Rock? No. It's a it's a book by an author named Garrett Graff. It's about all the nuclear bunkers from FDR through the Obama administration, but they give okay. a little history on like uh, the nuclear tests back in the fifties. And it's, uh, it's funny that you're saying the not in my backyard because in the 50s, it was actually a selling point where if you came and they'd, you'd be able to wake up early and, you know, they'd go on, they'd, you know, they'd go have a drink in the morning with pancakes and eggs and they said you could, you could see the flash from over the mountains and hear the boom. <laughs> and so people literally used to go there and be like, let's go watch an atomic bomb. And it's like, my, how the times have changed. Now, I, you can't have it near me versus like, let's wake up early, honey. Like, let's watch the bomb. It's, yeah. I've, I've lived through that transition. Yeah, see? yeah. It's, I, I, was the, I was 11 when uh, we dropped the bombs in Japan, and I remember that like it was yesterday. So really? From the time that World War II ended now, a lot of reversals and a lot of changes of... Uh, of attitude total field how did you find that how did you find that out like i i was i was 11 on 9 11 i was in fifth grade and i remember coming on the intercom i remember they said you know there was an attack in new york and they didn't really tell us because they didn't want to scare us but i was 11 years old then you were 11 how did you find out was it in the well, news see, uh, see back uh, back then uh, there were about six hundred thousand people that somewhere in the United States worked on the Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. Now you've been, a, you might have been a machinist in Detroit, mm -hmm. and you were machining a part, but you didn't know what the part was for. Yep. Back then, that whole even with six hundred thousand people involved in one way or another, it was kept secret. Yeah. During up until up until the headline came out that we had dropped an atomic bomb. Well, what? What what is it? You know, at that uh, if I did, uh, I don't remember where they did it. Eleven, yeah. I did on in school, yeah. But but uh, I, uh, you know, when that that was just, and well, the, we heard the atom bomb, and it's going to end the war. Uh huh. And uh, I don't know if you still want to go into it. We can talk a little bit on. The morality of uh, of dropping the bomb, which is one of the questions. Absolutely, I forget which question it is. Uh, so, if you want to go on some more, we can talk about that. Sure, absolutely, we can absolutely do that. Yeah, let's see what the, what is it? It's uh, let me try to find it. Um, uh, it's somewhere in the middle here. It's a, uh, um. Uh, it's uh, also we can talk about fusion. Also talk about suitcase bomb if you want to too. Absolutely, it's um, number. It's seven C. What? Seven. Not, what is your moral stance? Is that it? Well, yeah. The one that I was thinking about initially is uh, 
as a. Uh... We, give me, give me one second. I have. Yeah, no, it, 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 it have... had to do with. It, it had to do with. Uh... See, I thought I marked it. Anyway, it had to do with uh, dropping the bomb and and uh, the explanation of of that on. The dropping of the bomb. Okay, give me give me one second, Mr. Hughes. I'm gonna grab my iPad because I have it on there. Is that it? Obvious question. What is his opinion of the uh, Nagasaki Hiroshima bombings? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, we addressed that in the museum, the, the arguments on uh, dropping a bomb. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there were a number of different scenarios considered. One was to drop it on an unoccupied uh, island. Another was to warn uh, the population of a particular city and then give them time to get out of there and drop it there. Uh, another one then is, and one of the Jews was drop it on a, on a uh, occupied city mm -hmm. and uh, with no advance notice. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with uh, telling uh, and giving, say, 48 hours notice that we're going to bomb your city. Yeah. Is that there were 500,000 Allied prisoners, 150,000 American prisoners in Japan. Mm -hmm. And they knew that once that was announced, they would just railroad our prisoners down into that area. Oh, yeah. So that we would be bombing our own people. So that one was set aside. The other one will will uh, take a bunch of of diplomats out and to an unoccupied island and uh, demonstrate it over the island. Uh, the problem there is that uh, I wonder if you did that and it didn't work. Yeah, I've said that before on this podcast. Is we had enough fissile material for Trinity, for Nagasaki, Hiroshima, and there was one more, a core that wasn't used. That's only four. You use one to test. Yeah. What happens if you bring one out? Plutonium. For, yeah. We were producing enough. We were producing enough plutonium there for one bomb drop a week. Oh, okay. Next drop was uh, scheduled for for uh, September seventeenth. See, we. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, August 
August the seventeenth. Uh, Kakura. Anyway, we we had uh, enough plutonium. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. We had uh, we had at that time. That's why we tested uh, the plutonium bomb. Is we had enough to test it, and but that gets over into another PowerPoint presentation <laughs> that I give. So <laughs> on taking the atom bomb to war. Yeah. So did but the. Uh, uh, Truman had to make the decision on whether to drop the bomb. And uh, the argument that I feel most strongly about and in favor of is that uh, Secretary Stimson was Secretary of War. Mm-hmm. And he told uh, Truman that he said, Mr. President, what will you tell the American public mm-hmm. in your impeachment hearing? Yep. In a couple of years, if you had a bomb that could have ended the war and you chose not to use it, and we suffered a million casualties as a result, yep. Uh, put yourself in that spot, and to me, it's a it's a no brainer. Oh yeah, it's we, we say we in warfare. There's no black and whites. It seems like we don't have any black and whites to the, uh, any middle of ground today, and yeah. a lot of. De- This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Things are black and white, but they're different areas of gray. So you're in a position of picking the least of less of two evils. Yeah, it's and the one you pick might be evil in itself, but it's less evil than the other evil. Yeah, I mean my and, uh, my dad's dad was was being shipped over for the mainland invasion, and obviously he didn't have good, to do goodbye. that. Goodbye, you wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here. That's the thing I always say is, I have to argue for it. I wouldn't be, he was 18. He was cannon fodder. He would have been right in there, done. It's so, well, let me, yeah. Let, 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 let me tell you why I think it was the best old journey. Okay. We, we were estimating about a million casualties if we invaded the, the, uh, the homeland. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we didn't know and what we underestimated was their year-end capability. There are those that say, well, they were about to give up. In no way would the Army give up. We yeah. saw that in Iwo Jima and Chernobyl. They fought down the last man. My best friend just died about 10 years ago, and he was on the train from Europe to uh, ship out of California, and everyone on the train said that they once they left the coast of California, they'd never see the U.S. again. Mm-hmm. And he told me that several times over the years. Also, just uh, before we closed the uh, museum for for the pandemic, a woman came in and she told me that story that her, her grandfather uh, was convinced that had he was in the Navy, would have been in the flotilla that he would not come back. Mm-hmm. So one, one thing to do is to, you know, if you have a a person that is anti-bomb, anti-nuke, 
ask them if they had any relative, father or grandfather, that was in a combat unit, either in Army, Navy, or, or Marines. And uh, if they were, they would not come back. No. Now, the reason I say that is we, we had been fighting the Japanese at the various islands up through uh, the Marianas and everything. We, and um, in those islands, we were not fighting the Japanese best troops. We were fighting what you might call a National Guard, second order troops. Weren't there fighting, weren't the Imperial Guards or anything. And uh, we always outnumbered them two or three to one when we invaded the island. Uh, we thought that the Japanese Air Force had been decimated, that uh, they probably only had 2,000 aircraft left, they probably had no pilots, and uh, their army was probably you know, down to nothing. Or uh, there was a, uh, I read the general's report on what the capabilities were. They had held back 1.7 million of their top troops. Uh, and uh, we thought they were pretty well all gone to defend the homeland. They had been building aircraft. We thought uh, they had about 2,000 aircraft. They'd been building kamikaze aircraft and hiding them. They had 12,500 kamikaze aircraft. We thought they had no pilots, but they were training pilots, very simple training. All we had to do is train them to take off and fly. You didn't have to train them to land. Yep. Because they're good. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were not landing. Not landing. 12,500. They had built 1,800 one-man submarines, Suic kamikaze yep. submarines. Suicide eight, torpedoes. Eight, eight, 1,800. Our uh, Navy flotilla going in with, was about 850 ships. This is the Olympia uh, campaign, and, uh, uh, and, and it would be in several, several waves. We, we hear numbers like 850,000 uh, troops going in. Uh, we had all these ships out there. From our experience at Okinawa, these uh, kamikaze dive bombers were very effective. We lost a lot of Navy per ships and personnel there. Uh, that would have been catastrophic. Uh, the, uh, the areas that we were going to land on, uh, uh, on uh, Honshu or Kaishu, Anyway, on where we were planning the line, the, uh, they had uh, hollowed out those hills as they had in Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Those two islands were actually Japanese islands. The rest of we had invaded, the Japanese had invaded. Mm -hmm. So they had tunneled and had uh, emplacements like Okinawa and, uh, and uh, Iwo Jima. So it would have been slaughter. And they also had trained 28 million civilians to attack in waves. Yep. You know, using axes and pitchforks and, and pointed sticks. Yep. The handy. Can you imagine being a machine gunner and having these waves of people coming at you? 
Yeah, that you have to. You, you run out of bullets and you're you're dead. Yeah, they had thirty two. I mean, so it, it, it would have been an unimaginable thing. Uh, Truman had fought in Europe, in World Europe, War One, in France in World War One, and he had seen what the cost of dragging things out was. So I think he made the you know I. Of course, I'm conservative or Republican. <laughs> He's a Democrat. Yeah. My granddad hated him. Yeah. But I, I really give him credit for making decisions, and I, Absolutely. I think he made a quick one. Absolutely. They were training children. They were training children to to yeah. uh, put bombs on their chest and crawl under American tanks. Yeah. They were. Yeah. They handed out something like 32 million bamboo sticks, sharpened bamboo yeah. sticks, and it was charge them and stab them until they shoot you they were the idea that they were about to surrender is it's, it's based in nothing it's not based in fact well the, the the politicians were and the emperor was but not the army you know they fought it right down yeah. the end oh yeah we learned that in august okinawa that they were going to die to the last man we lost thirty thousand. well we had 30,000 casualties in Okinawa alone, mm -hmm. and all but just a few uh, Japanese uh, surrendered, and that was because they were had been shot up so that they were they could, stretcher cases. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, yeah. uh, you know, I look back at that and lived through it, and we were so, you know, we so hated the Japanese at that time. It's difficult to put that in the words today you know it uh, hopefully you know things really turned around uh, yeah it was tough yeah the uh another one that uh, is there's one on suitcase bombs yeah uh, are they uh our smallest bomb and this is clear back in the 60s Davy Crockett is a Davy Crockett. Yeah, he uses a W fifty four warhead. It's an implosion warhead, and uh, it's in two forms. One is the uh, the Davy Crockett uh, uh, that's launched with a recoilless rifle. Uh, the other is a, a canister that's put in a backpack where a paratrooper can land and take it over and set it uh, at a prime location somewhere and set a timer in it and take off that weighs 58 pounds that is sneaky <laughs> that is sneaky that's, so, so that, that's a suitcase bomb right oh that is <laughs> that is terrifying any any seal or Ranger could tote that around. Uh, oh yeah, one of these band. Yeah, the green light. So anyway, uh, suitcase bombs, and that is a concern now uh, on terrorist activity and everything. Because uh, even it's not a Hiroshima level explosion, but it's a big enough explosion to get your attention. That's <laughs> for sure. Yeah. What? And I can't. I, I know what the yields are, but at the museum we do not discuss. Yields, okay. so uh, okay, you have to kind of kind of guess yourself. Okay, I was going to ask you, but okay, I'll I'll look it up myself. Yeah. Well, it's uh, well, see now you got me in trouble. <laughs> uh, 
you know, I can tell you a lot of this is on on you know, you can look it up, you can look up the B sixty one bomb. Oh yeah. But I can't Don't. comment on it because that gives it uh, uh, some uh, validity. Yeah. Don't comment. You know, I don't want you to get in trouble, well, Dwayne. Don't do it. You, you go, you take <laughs> Don't do it. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll 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 look it up and I'll add it in another podcast. Don't get in trouble. Yeah, that's a different uh, that's a different subject. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Mariah, on the what we did to Japan, I think uh, you know I'm uh, I'm deeply religious. Yeah. But even that, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we were on the right side there. Yeah, so, so do I. I think you probably saved a lot of Japanese lives as well. Well, initially they said three and a half million, but it would have been much more than that because the war would have drug on. And I'd guess probably five million or so if they did those human waves yeah. as they were. Yeah, it's they weren't they weren't going to give and up. Then, and then another thing, which I really hadn't thought of before, but would we have used a third bomb if we were losing? <sighs> I, I don't That's, know. I, I thought that before. Yeah. yeah. Now that would have been a decision there, you know. Yeah. To yeah. take a defensive position where you're losing and and drop a third. Yeah. yeah that was, I'd had to think about that a while. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that's the other thing is like, what if we had not used the bombs and instead gone on with the land invasion? Well, we'd only lose so many soldiers before we'd pull out and then drop the bombs anyway, right? So it's. Yeah. Either way, I don't think there was. I think that the greater evil was World War II, and the lesser evil was the bomb, and we used the lesser to defeat the evil, the the larger. That I mean, that's my humble opinion. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, yeah. I go along with that. Yeah. Well, let's see. We've been at it. Uh... Hour fifteen minutes. Well, that was uh, okay. Goes by. I had thought initially that I had thought initially I get these, the 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 beauty of it. I've done enough research to do this that I'm now going to do a. I I, I have six PowerPoint one-hour presentations that I give on the uh, uh, the Manhattan Project, everywhere mm-hmm. from Trinity to CP one and. And so I'm going to turn this into a PowerPoint. It'll probably be 50 or 60, maybe 70 slides. So I'll put in, the, you know, the pictures and everything. Oh, yeah. And then the, I haven't done one on nuclear power, see, so. You guys you gave me an idea there. Good, to, good. Not doing anything else, man. Other yeah, it's the, the, work that. nothing else to do but keep yourself busy. It's you gotta gotta stay sane yeah. with the pandemic. That's what I'm doing. I'm 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 reading books nonstop. Got to keep mind busy. Otherwise, you get stir crazy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Hughes, thank you so much. Yeah, you're quite welcome. And um, but like uh, the my main motivation at the museum is that if we don't teach history, it's going to repeat itself. It's that old adage. Yes, sir. 
and uh, I see people coming into the museum that are, have zero knowledge. And uh, this uh, uh, link that, I, that I, we were talking about on ad- attitudes toward the uh, nuclear energy, turns out that uh, we also have a poll uh, depending on the person's knowledge of how much they know about nuclear energy. And they found that the more you know about it, the better you accept it. Yeah. And that's really an interesting uh, particular uh, link. I don't know, maybe you want to send that uh, to the readers. And that is, uh, it's in 4C there. It's at the bulletin. Okay. Really, uh, that's really a good uh, piece of information. Okay, I'll put that. I'll put that. If in you, the... uh, you might, you might look up that bulletin there. Okay, and then uh, read that. It's it's well done. Yeah, it's. I think you're it's right. Been surprising, surprising. Well, because the more you read, well, it starts to become obvious that none of these things are perfect, but you start to realize that one of them is a lot less imperfect than the others, especially with with climate change, with with natural resource competition and scarcity. It starts to become very clear. You're like, oh, nuclear is the choice. It's you're right. The well, more uh, you know, the the, the pro and cons of each source of electricity that I talked about. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There, there is no silver bullet. No. Our position at the museum is we need to maximize the use of all energy sources to meet meet our future needs. Yes, sir. Right now, that includes uh, fossil fuels. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. In fact, I was going to say that back, and I forgot to say yeah. that. So until we you can f- take that and plug it in, <laughs> okay. Yeah. In, until we figure out fusion, fusion seems to be okay. That's another question. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because I worked on fusion. Oh, you did. One of one of my high fluting titles <laughs> of one of my seven careers was I was executive assistant assistant the vice president of research. Okay. Oh wow. And, right. and, uh, and that was back during the Reagan administration. Okay. And we were doing Star Wars. We had all mm-hmm. kinds of wild things uh, on Star Wars. But we also then was developing ICF, inertial confinement fusion. Yep. Uh, that's one of three fusion attempts. One is Tokamak, which is Russian that uh, is developed here in this country by Princeton. The other is by laser. And that's out the Lawrence Livermore uh, laser, and the third then is uh, is the confinement. Mm-hmm. Well, in fusion, what they're attempting to do is take a pellet of deuterium and hitting it with such a energetic force, and you do that with lasers or at Sandy, you're doing them with electron beams, mm-hmm. and you're putting terrible lots of electron. Uh, electrons down onto a pea-sized piece of deuterium or something trying to get it to fuse. Mm-hmm. The fusion we're talking about is trying to duplicate the internal uh, uh, makings of the sun. Yeah. And uh, tokamak is a toroidal vessel that gets like a cyclotron. Mm-hmm. It gets everything moving so fast and everything it becomes a plasma. The problem with what you create is so hot that you can't find anything to contain it because it melts it. Yeah. 
So how do you contain it? How do you contain the sun? And uh, back when I worked on in uh, as that was in the mid '80s, and we were tracking up toward break even and making pretty good progress. And uh, the thought then was have break even or have more output than we put into it mm-hmm. in 30 years. Mm-hmm. That was the mid 80s. Yeah, it's always now. Uh, when, now, when you ask, it's a uh, hundred years. Yeah, it's a uh, hundred years. We'll have it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the problem that I see is that we've got to discover a whole new technology that we know nothing about right now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an interesting area that I see is is uh, we only know about 10% of the mass of the universe. Mm-hmm. Where's the 90%? Yeah. Dark, dark energy, dark, dark energy. matter. Yeah. Yeah. Dark mass. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you're frozen up. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The internet's getting choppy. So, so then, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't, uh, I don't, we'll, we'll see. We, we've gotten with ICF, we've gotten up to break even. Mm-hmm. We're instantaneously in like a trillions of a second, we equal what was input. Yeah. And those are terawatt, terawatt levels of energy. But it's, uh, you got to figure out, well, now I did that once. I can reload everything and do it maybe once a day. Yeah. But how am I going to have enough ammunition going through? Yeah. That it can continuously develop a commercial power. Yeah. And that is a daunting engineering task. And yeah. When it's evaded this so far. Yeah. So my my humble opinion uh, is that uh, we'll never see fusion. You know, they saw cold fusion up in Utah at the University of Utah. Ponds and Fleischmann. And uh, when that came out, we had, well, same day when I worked there and now, that it was 7,000 employees. We had 2,200 PhDs, and that's about what we have today. And uh, all of them in that field headed their labs to try to duplicate that experiment. So it was determined it was an instrumentation yeah uh, problem and not a, yeah. a real fact yeah but anyway it's yeah it's uh, uh there's a there's a saying I, th- I thought you might think is funny and it's um it's it's fusion is always 40 years away because that's the length of a career you got to keep it on the table so that you can justify your salary yeah <laughs> yeah and then once you retire well, also yeah, uh, kick it away and yeah and you think now is that uh uh, each generation has to relearn the mm-hmm. problems of the past. And yeah. That is, you know, if you don't teach history, yeah, it's going to repeat. Uh, why in, in the pandemic now? Why didn't we remember the lessons of the 1918 flu pandemic? Exactly right. You know, I, I'm sure there's a group of people that said, "We'll never let this happen again." Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have all this stuff in storage, and if it comes again, we can hit it hard. Now, those people died. Yep. And it just... When I uh, uh, when I started in '56 at Sandia, 
and uh, I was young, the youngest one in the groups because most of the people working at Sandy on Weapons were ex-World War II or Korean War veterans, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they came in, they were older uh, than I was. I was the youngest in the groups. And uh, they began to retire. And uh, the concern was, well, when they retire, the technology will go with them because you never have enough documentation Mm -hmm. to relive that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was a concern that these young master's degree people that were coming in never felt the heat of the flesh on their face. Yeah. And until you witness that, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't know what you're building. Yeah. So there was great, great concern of, of guys that were retiring, knowing that they, they're leaving that legacy. And uh, you know, we see that over and over again, that uh, we just goes away yeah. because we don't study history. Yeah. I wish we in school, but I guess there are more things like basket weaving or something. Yeah. One thing I forgot to oh, sure, tell sure. you. And this this uh, start recording again. We'll put this back in the okay. In the. I want I want to show you the power of. Uh, of, of nuclear uh, nuclear energy mm-hmm. I have here and I'll show you see if you can see it let's see where yeah, yeah I can see it and you said yeah see right there that's a uh, fuel pellet it's actually plastic but that's a replica of a fuel pellet okay okay now you can you, I don't know you're reading this backwards mm-hmm. okay uh, in natural uranium, to have light water reactors modify, you can't use light water with natural uranium. Uh, you have to use an enriched, uh, so we're enriching now with centrifuges, we're enriching uh, uranium from 0.7% of uranium to 5%. Mm-hmm. So this little thing is 5% fissionable or U-235. Okay. So you'd think that would probably be about the size of a sesame seed mm-hmm. if you put it together in there. Uh, in its lifetime of that pellet, it will be equivalent to three barrels of oil or a ton of coal or 17,000 cubic feet of natural gas is in that. Wow. These now are lined up in in tubes in a uh, reactor core. And uh, the tubes are in a core, they're uh, 12 to 14 feet long, Mm -hmm. depending on the design of the reactor. So you have these strung out in there. Uh, You... uh, in a reactor core, you have a sixteen or seventeen hundred uh, uh, rods. So you, you multiply this times the length, mm-hmm. 
and 1600. I did the calculation of this in a 12 foot rod, 1600 rods, and you got about 340,000 of these. Okay. In one. That uh, builds in, and then I've got it here. This is by the American Nuclear Society. An 1150 megawatt nuclear power plant can save 3,358,000 tons of coal per year in one reactor. In one reactor. So I, I'd like for you to put that in. I forgot. To, oh, yeah, sure, I sure. To put that in. Okay. That is crazy. Uh, it produces 8 billion kilowatt hours of electricity, <laughs> enough to serve all the electrical power needs of a city of 684,000 people. That's one reactor. And we can't build them. Yeah, we can't, and we can't build them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's. So that's what. Now, if you convert that over to uh, wind turbines, a wind turbine, the older varieties are about one and a half megawatts. Uh, the, the bigger ones now are two and a half megawatts. If you take uh, wind turbines at uh, one and a half megawatts, it takes 700 and some turbines to produce the energy of one reactor. Or if you take a big 250, 2.5 megawatt, it takes about, I think, uh, 430 or something. I've done the division, but, you know, you think 700 wind turbines out there it's insane and land it takes and all and it's and we're not anyway. building reactors yeah yeah that is we should be and uh, we, we, we should be let, let, let me talk about the energy in sure. the bomb sure in this sack of sweet lows one gram of matter on bring i can't i can't see it bring it closer to the the camera okay I can't, I still can't see it. Hmm. Oh, there we okay. go, there we go, there we go. Yeah, I'm right here. Okay. Well, it's a little is why. Yeah. That's the a, a pink sweet and low. Yeah. In it is one gram. Okay. Uh, if I could take all that mass and convert to energy, you got that famous formula. What is it? E equals mc squared. E equals mc squared. If I can convert all that matter, I can get 20 kilotons of TNT explosive uh, reaction. So in the fat man bomb, it converted one gram of fissionable material into energy, 20 kilotons. Good Lord. 20,000 tons out of one gram. Good Lord. So that's the multiplier and the speed, the speed of light is squared is just non intuitive. Yeah, it's such 186,000 a, a second squared. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speed light, speed of light. I studied that. I tried to duplicate the speed of light, and four of us in, in college. It's a difficult thing to do, but it's, you know, three times 10 to the eighth meters per second. Well, yeah. 10 to 8 meters is a long way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's 670 million miles an hour. It's, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fun to do some of the arithmetic. 
Okay, well, anything else you questions? Or I'm glad you brought up a few of those afterthoughts because I, I, I had these and forgot to use them. Do you think that we will? Do you think that we will construct nuclear reactors? Because right now China is building a lot of them. They're even working on their own fusion, where the rest of the world is doing ITER, I T E R, and I think France, China's trying to make their own. Do you think the threat of a Chinese rise in nuclear power? Do you think that would lead us to start constructing again? I don't think the uh, somewhere along the line. I don't think we'll allow China to dominate. I, I hope you know, and whether it, to dominate us. Uh, yeah, I. So that that gets very well. It's the news daily, or if not hourly. Yeah. Uh, with economics and the uh, COVID-19 and all that, but I mean, you know, I'm very conservative. I'm nation, nationalistic to a point. Uh, there is that camp, though, that are globalists. Yeah. And, uh, we see that, well, it's fine to be globalist and peace, but when it comes to push and pull, you tend to pull back. Yeah, it's a zero-sum game. And, uh, and you tend to pull back and look at for your at your natural interests rather than national interests rather than global interests. So yeah, that that, that is uh, above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. It, it's a yeah. It's China. China to me is a big threat. Yeah, they're a huge threat. There's a yeah. There, there's one. Uh, question in here it has to do what's what's the chances of a problem or you know what where where is the oh it's forget just how it was worded but it was uh where where do you think the next problem is and to me it's iran Mm -hmm. to cause and that's because that whole thing is you know, it's religious for for mm-hmm. with the Russians. It was political, mm-hmm. and there, uh, there at least uh, you can be rational. But when you get to the point of uh, of being able, willing to commit suicide because there are seventy two uh, out there that uh, <laughs> <laughs> virgins that are big flat. Yeah, it's my my thoughts are for you. You you don't need many, many suicides. (laughs) (laughs) Suicidal terrors before you run out of virgins. (laughs) (laughs) So so they're they're limited on uh, (laughs) what the. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it's the global prison. Yeah. Global prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what uh, what I closed here? Let me read it to you. Sure. Or no, I didn't. Uh, I'd like for you to invite your audience that if they have any questions or comments about what was presented to let you know and we get back together and absolutely see if we can answer 
Would absolutely, I would absolutely love that. Yeah, I can. I can. I can invite invite feedback. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can. I can post. I'd, I'd be happy to try to. Awesome. If I can, you know, give you further information. Yes, sir. Thank you. What, uh, you know what? What we talked about here is just t- tip of information iceberg. Yeah. Really. Yeah, but, I would. I would love to. I would love to. I'll send it out and I'll. I'll ask for feedback for questions and we can put it together and we can absolutely do another episode. I would love to. Yeah. I'd like to see a, a version. Uh, you know, I don't make it mandatory. It's really your call, but I would like to see it just to see what I said. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll upload it. I'll upload it for you to see first and then you can give me the, thumbs the up. basic thing is I want to be sure there are no errors. In it. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. And we correct those errors before it goes out because the museum, we like to put out things that we believe to be true and factual. Sure. sure. It's awfully easy to uh, to uh, negate that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll upload a version for you and I'll send it to you and um, we can go back and you can yeah, see right. if there are any errors. And uh, if there are errors, we, what we can do is we can just, we can put that in the description. We can say at, you know, at this moment, he said X, but he meant Y or something like that. It's we can absolutely do that. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Mister. Well, good you. you too, sir. Thank you so much for coming on here. <laughs> if you wanted a podcast on some other question, <laughs> thank you, sir. Like the, I'm a much more an expert on the on the Manhattan Project. Okay. I think I. I think I've answered all possible questions on the Manhattan Project. Yeah. I will definitely I've yield got, some questions. Like I said, I've got six, six one-hour PowerPoint presentations on different aspects. So I've got six hours of formal presentation on just the Manhattan Project. We- There's a lot of, lot of, one of the biggest things and that we still blows my mind on the Manhattan Project is from the time we started work at Los Alamos till we dropped a bomb was 28 months. That's insane. Just try, try to figure out how they were able to do all that in a 28 month period. The fear, the fear of extinction. The fear of extinction from uh, from Germany and Japan. Fear. Fear drives, drives it. Yeah. Oh, well. We were highly motivated. Yeah. And motivation is one of the big things. Absolutely. And for society to set a, an objective that is so strong, it takes all this, uh, all this interplay and mm-hmm. stuff out. That you're, you're going toward that goal. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, Christian, yeah. non-Christian. Yeah. You're heading right into that goal. Exactly. And we sure had that during World War II, you know. That's it. absolutely. You have a good goal and you work towards it. Everything else. Yeah, one falls of my, away. Well, one of my things that really hit me during World War II is that I was in grade school. No, so I was about uh, seven or so. Uh, I walked about a mile to grade school, and in Miamisburg, the houses were right down against the walk. You had to house walk and then what's called a devil strip little strip of grass and then the street mm-hmm. so you walked right by the house and 
And uh, if you had uh, someone in the family, in the household, in the military, the mother's got a blue star, and that's where the you know blue star mothers come from. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at the there were a number of houses along there that uh, at the start of the war had these blue stars. As the war progresses, those became gold stars. Gold stars, the person's killed. And uh, boy, that was... Wow. Makes me tear up to today. Yeah. It's... it's yep. Yeah. It's, okay. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap... Yeah, it's... No, it's, it's... it's. I think it's completely fine to tear up about that. It's very real. Just because it's... Oh. Just because it's in the past, just because the pictures are black and white, it doesn't make it any less real. It's very real. My my great uncle passed away several years ago. He was 18 years old on D-Day, storming Omaha yeah. Beach, survived, and was in the FBI for 50 years. It's um, my uncle passed away in if, 2013. If, if you really had an angel on your shoulders if you got to uh, Omaha Beach. Exactly. Live. Exactly. My other yeah. uncle's father was at um, was at the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, an uncle of mine that passed away in 2013 was drafted into Vietnam. I have, a, I mean, that's why that's why I have the American flag behind me, and I always say this, and people think I'm kidding, but I have the American flag because it's the fact that I have the luxury at 29 years old to to say whatever I want freely and to not worry about an invading army is because of all the brave individuals that came before me. That's that's why I have this is to remind me any episode you see it. exactly it's um and that's why so I think one, it's, one, it's, one of my close friends uh, was in the third cavalry he you know, was in a tank in a tank in Patton's uh, group at the, uh, going to the uh-huh. to the ball you know Patton uh-huh. counterattacked and yeah saved uh, uh, really the turning of the whole thing but he was in a tank crew and uh, uh, the weather was bad and uh, they had stopped and he and they all had dug foxholes of course and um, the sun had come out and they were out there standing by their foxholes and uh, and some fighters came were coming in and they thought they were ours well it turned out they were German and they started getting strafed so he got the purple heart because he dove into his foxhole, but he had forgotten that he had found a glass bubble to keep the rain and stuff out, and he put it over the foxhole. And when he dove, he broke through the, the uh, glass <laughs> bubble in head, and he cut himself, so he got a purple heart for it. <laughs> and he, he, he told that story like it was like that funny. <laughs> That's brilliant. That, that's what would happen to me. Yeah, everyone else would get injured, and then I'd hurt myself. That's that's probably what would happen to me. I'd be like, "Why'd you get a purple heart?" Ah, uh, because I tripped. <laughs> some uh, some don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can pop for other reasons. Yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. All right, Mister Hughes, we've been. I've kept you for an hour and 41 minutes. It's been super fun. Thank you so much. I'll I'll get some questions and um, we can do that. We can, I'd love to have you come on and just talk about the Manhattan Project. Just everything you know. It's, um, I would love to keep doing them. We just got to schedule it a a week out so I can 
figure out what time and um i would absolutely love to yeah the uh yeah, let's see if I... it's so yeah i'd be glad to talk about it, it and unless you see pictures like i have in the in the powerpoint it's you know you really it's really hard to describe what Los Alamos was like during the winter that they did the uh, design of the bombs, uh, what living conditions were like there. And until you see a car parked out there that it sunk into the mud where the tires were gone, it was a mud, it was sitting, the chassis was sitting on the mud. Mm-hmm. Or you see pictures of the women hanging there clothes out on on uh, clotheslines out with snow on the ground and yeah and uh, those those that really comes home yeah and that's hard to hard to hard to describe but it uh, and the always the Dwayne you still there Dwayne? 